they always say, why not try D&D? Just some of the amazing things you can get. Immense cosmic power. The strength to wrestle bears and men to the ground with no problem. Consistently having money to actually travel and getting eight hours of sleep on a regular basis. At least one can dream. Hello humans, my name's Keanu, and today we're going to be delving further into the world of Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition by talking about the different player classes that you can use for Dungeons & Dragons. Now as a heads up, this will be a follow-up to last week's episode where we talked a lot about how to play Dungeons & Dragons and how to get into it for people who are either new to it, haven't had much experience, or have never even heard of the game. And this is going to be much more of a delve into the different classes that are available to players, specifically for Dungeons & Dragons. Now in total there are 13 classes that you can pick from right now that are official. There are some homebrew that people will use, some unofficial content that's kind of like fringe accepted into mainline gameplay, but we're going to go over the main ones right now. Now as a quick overview, the 13 classes we'll be talking about is going to be the Barbarian, the Bard, the Cleric, the Druid, the Fighter, the Monk, the Paladin, the Ranger, the Rogue, the Sorcerer, the Warlock, the Wizard, and then finally the 13th and newest one, the Artificer. Now, as a general blanket statement, all of these classes are very good. You can use them for whatever you want. The main thing to keep in mind is that they all cover different niches and they have different abilities that they kind of focus on. So I'd really say never can try to figure out which one is the best class, just figure out which one is the best class for you, if that makes sense. Now keep in mind that today we're not going to be delving so much into the mechanical aspects of the classes. We'll probably do that on a deep dive episode for each class individually in the future one day. But today we're mainly going to go over the roleplay aspects of them, kind of what their niche and what their skills are, and what might draw somebody to the class in particular. And that's the nice thing about a lot of the classes is that they really do fill a couple different areas, but you can really hone in into a couple of things if you want to. So it's really as broad or as specific as you want it to be. Now kicking it right off, we're going to start with the Barbarian, and Barbarian is probably one of the more simple classes if I'm being honest. It's very much for if you want to be a big person who hits really really hard and gets really really angry and just does not go down in a fight, that's your Barbarian. This can be your wilderness survivalists, you, this can be your champions, this can be your horde leaders if you're going for something like World of Warcraft or whatever it may be. Usually the Barbarian is going to be the person who charges into the fight first and after 10 minutes they're going to be the last person standing if it doesn't take them even shorter to end that fight. Barbarians are resilient, they are fearsome, they are a force to be reckoned with, and typically you do not want to be the person that is stuck in a bar fight with a barbarian. <laughs> now outside of that, barbarians usually use big weapons, they usually have either some heavy armor or they might be completely just working of their own kind of facilities. Often they do have this mechanic that actually lets them be completely unarmored and that will fill in a lot of their different mechanical abilities as well, such as their increased movement speed and a few other things like that. But otherwise, your Barbarian, again, they're big, they're tough, they're mean, they probably eat steel for breakfast, and if you want to be that kind of player, be a Barbarian. Now going forward, the Bard is a lot of people's favorite, and that is because they represent eloquence, music, artistry, and performance. They are casters, so they do have spell casting and magical abilities associated with that, and they are very much a jack of all trades, and they literally get an ability called jack of all trades later on. Now, bards are for people who want to be focused on performing, charming people, maybe being the face of the party who does a lot of the bargaining and talking whenever you get into situations with NPCs and things like that. The bard is very much a person who can fill kind of any niche that you need to. They can either fill everything a little bit or they can really hone in into a couple of areas and be masters of that craft. 
And I'd say of people who are what we call skill monkeys in Dungeons and Dragons, they are probably only rivaled by the rogue and they can do everything the rogue can do almost as well. I'd say the rogue has it out in a few areas, but really the bard can honestly surpass them if you set it up the right way. But otherwise, the bard, if you're looking for being the theater kid of your D&D group, being the person who's always ready with the eloquent word or the poetry or the jokes and the puns, the bard is gonna be right up your alley. Now then we get to the cleric, your classic divine caster, in tune with their religious abilities and the magical abilities of the world in general, related to the gods and deities typically. The cleric is honestly a powerhouse. Now there's a pretty big um, assumption that goes throughout Dungeons and Dragons where people think that the cleric is basically what's known as a heal bot or the person that would go through and heal everyone in the party and they don't really fight. If there's anything I've learned from my several years of being a DM, it is that the cleric, yes, can heal, but they are also just as dangerous in the front of a party being a wall against anything that may be attacking you. The cleric, frankly, is one of the most frightening things to deal with as a DM because even though, yes, they can sustain your party, if you have one go into a room and decide they want to throw down, they are gonna throw down. Between their spellcasting, along with things such as divine intervention, which is a point where they can literally call upon a deity or a higher power to just intervene in a fight or in a situation, they really can do a lot of different things very, very well. They're typically not going to be your most stealthy, they may not be the face of the party, they may not be the most charming, but really what they do, they do really, really well, which is keep everyone alive, keep things going, and just support everyone super, super well. And the train keeps going. So next up we've got the Druid. Now the Druid is a bit of an interesting one. They are kind of hard to explain for me personally, because they kind of ride an interesting line. So they're kind of in the middle of also being a divine caster, just like the aforementioned cleric. And so they do have healing magics, they do have a lot of divination, things of that nature. But they also are kind of on the fringe of being a ranger, which is very much a naturalist, explorer kind of healer situation as well. Now the thing about the druid is that every time I think of the druid, I always think that they're going to be a lot weaker or not necessarily as useful in a situation. And then I have a couple of players who absolutely love to play druids and remind me that druids are also absolutely terrifying. One of their iconic abilities is something known as Wild Shape, in which they can basically shapeshift into a beast that they have seen before or recognize, or if your DM is more flexible, just something that they've heard of before. And Wild Shape can be quite powerful just because it gives them additional health, it makes them a lot buffer, and it really gives them a lot of abilities that might not be available to them otherwise, things such as turning into a bird for flight or turning into aquatic creature to breathe underwater. And so they do have a lot of flexibility in that capacity, along with the spellcasting that they already have. So even though, again, they may not be the tankiest person, they won't be the first person into the fight, unless they shapeshift into a bear, in which case they might be the first person into a fight, they're still going to be able to fill a lot of the different roles that you need, very similar to a cleric in a lot of ways, but also ready to call down the thunder as it was, if you need to. Or I guess it would be calling down the lightning, technically, because that's the actual thing. But that's another thing, if you want to be an elementalist and really focus on either thunder or water or cold or maybe a little bit of fire damage, you can really hone in with the druid as well because they are going to be your master of the elements. Now moving right along, the fighter fights. They do what they do and they do it very well. Now the thing I'll often hear from my players is that they feel like the fighter is very bland and that they don't really do too much that's special or interesting. Now if I'm being honest, the fighter can be a bit simplistic depending on how you look at it, but in my opinion, I really think the thing about the fighter that's great is that it serves as a template that you can add flavor to. Now their mechanics work very, very well. 
they get more attacks than any other class, so they start out with one attack, they eventually get two, three, and then four from a single action. They also get Action Surge, which is very much the action hero kind of situation, where you can go in, do a couple of attacks, Action Surge, and continue to attack or move and do something else, so it gives you a lot of flexibility in combat. And then they have things such as Indomitable, which helps them stay up in a fight if you're about to fail a saving throw that might disable you otherwise, you can try to reroll it and be more successful with it. And the thing that I really take from the fighter is that they just have a lot of utility in combat that you can really just utilize and adjust based on how you want to play it. Now outside of combat, a lot of people will say it's boring to play a fighter. I think that's down to how you roleplay it. I think that you could as effectively play a fighter in a roleplaying situation as you could a sorcerer or a bard, as long as you play it up that way and depending on how you want to approach it. And the fighter really does get a lot of its flavor from its subclasses as well. But as mentioned with the barbarian and the, um, well, we'll actually talk about it later, but the monk, oh, we're actually talking about that right after that, awesome. Um, the fighter is very much a person that you do not want to be in a bar fight with them at all. I'd honestly say if it was between a fighter and a barbarian, the barbarian is going to get a lot of hits in, but the fighter's technique might be able to outclass them. And that'll be a conversation for another day as far as how classes match up to them. But the fighter is definitely a force to be reckoned with, so keep an eye on them if you're interested in just being one of the most dangerous people in the room. Now whereas the fighter is a person who is a master of basically every weapon that they can get their hands on, the monk is very different from them in that they are a weapon. <laughs> they are what would be considered a living weapon. If a monk is in a room with you, a completely empty room with nothing to use, and they are trying to fight five guys, they're still probably going to win. The thing about the monk is that they are very much about mobility, unarmored combat, and basically using their fists, their knees, whatever body part they have to fight against you. They very much hone this kind of idea of wholeness of body and focus on utilizing that in combat, including a mechanic known as key, which is basically kind of an analogy to magic in a way, but it's more so about wholeness of self. And that gives them a lot of different abilities from flurry of blows, which lets them do up to, usually starting out three attacks in a round, eventually gets up to four attacks in a round. And so they very much are a person that if you're in a fight with them, it's hard to pin them down. It's hard to really slow them down. It's really hard to get a lock on them at any given time. They're very much going to be able to control the battlefield as they move around and kind of focus in on multiple targets. Now, I will say the thing about the monk is that in a one-on-one -on -one fight, they can be very, very potent against, you know, however big or bad the bad guy might be. It can be very effective to have your monk lock them down. Or if you're absolutely being swarmed by a lot of goons and bad guys, it might be good to just have your monk do a once around, stun a few people, and just keep them distracted as much as possible to let your other players do what they need to do elsewhere. And so the monk has a lot of flexibility in these different ways. Now I will say the monk is very much focused in the combat realm, so they can be a bit trickier to have as, you know, a scout or maybe as an investigator or a detective, things of that nature, but they still fill the role pretty decently. So the main thing I'd say is that don't expect to be doing a lot of healing for other people, but be ready to support your party in other ways with the monk. Now speaking of supporting your parties, next up we have the paladin, and the paladin is kind of the analogy between the cleric and the fighter. They are very potent in combat, but the thing that's also amazing about them is that they actively support and buff their team even if they don't intend to. So eventually they do get auras that will support both your charisma your combat abilities and different things based on the subclass that you take or your oath as a paladin. As a paladin you do basically make an oath to either a deity or to a kind of ideal and set of tenets that you'll follow and this will very much flavor your paladin. And most of the classes have things like that and I haven't delved into it too much but again a lot of the classes will always have this thing to kind of focus in further once you get an idea of how the class works more generally. 
Now with the Paladin, one of their most powerful abilities is Divine Smite, in which they can basically use a few of their spell slots, and they don't get too many of them compared to say the Cleric or the Druid for example, but they still get a decent number to work with. And they can use these to basically use an attack and enhance it with Radiant Energy, making it a much more potent and powerful attack. Now this is what a lot of uh, Paladins will use a lot of the time in combat to kind of enhance their damage output. But you can also use that for things such as support spells, be it very minute healing, be it guiding other people's attacks, and things of that nature. So the Paladin really is, I'd say, one of the most holistic kind of support classes in that even though they won't do what they do as well as other people, they can do a lot of different things, be it healing, damaging, protection, guidance, whatever it might be. So the Paladin, I think, can be a very good entry-level class, honestly. It gives you a lot of flexibility as a player, and honestly, who doesn't want to play the big hero in shiny armor? And that's literally what the Paladin is, so. Okay, and keeping it right on going, next up we have the Ranger. Now the Ranger, when it first came out, a lot of people in 5th edition felt like it was a little bit weaker than you'd expect it to be. Now I will say, the Ranger is very much focused in what it does. It's very much a naturalist that's all about roving terrain, traveling the world, and a lot of movement and mobility kind of things. Now they will have two abilities in particular, which is going to be your favorite terrain and favorite enemy, which can be very, very focused. Now when you choose your favorite terrain, you're going to want to check with your dungeon master and figure out where you're going to be having your campaign. Because basically, if you're going to choose, you know, the forest as your terrain and you end up spending half of your campaign in the mountains, that's not going to be super beneficial to you and it's going to feel kind of wasted in a lot of ways. And same thing with your favorite enemy. If you decide to have giants as your favorite enemy and you end up fighting nothing but aberrations from another plane, then again, it kind of feels pointless to have it. So I'd definitely say check with your dungeon master with this. There are revised versions of the ranger that have a lot of different abilities. And I will say Ranger is honestly one of those ones that I think their subclasses are some of the coolest things out there compared to even the other subclasses in D&D. The nice thing is that all of them are very flavorful, they're very focused in. You have the Horizon Walker which can literally find extra planar portals and travel across the planes. And they also get an ability eventually where they can teleport before each attack which gives you immense mobility honestly. That's so hard to deal with in a combat situation especially when you consider that the Ranger can be a ranged fighter and can be very effective that way. You get other things such as the Gloomstalker, which is basically an ambusher, very effective at utilizing ambushing tactics, guerrilla warfare, darkness to their effect, and things of that nature. And so I definitely say, with the Ranger, always give it a try. It's very much for your naturalist. Just remember that the Ranger in Lord of the Rings was not Legolas, it was technically Aragorn, so keep that in mind when you consider the Ranger. But you're going to be doing a lot of tracking. Basically, no one will be able to escape you if you are the Ranger and you know how to use your abilities. And yeah, if you want, you know, kind of the naturalistic but don't want to go all the way into Druid, the Ranger might be a good way to check it out. You'll be good in combat, you'll be good at a lot of different things, and it's overall a good time. And now we get into everybody's most broody and favorite class, the Rogue. Now here's the thing about the Rogue. The Rogue, and I'm going to be completely honest, is kind of awesome. They're typically masters of a couple of different things. They get an ability very early on known as Expertise. They literally get it at first level. So you're going to get to choose two things that you're especially proficient with. A lot of the time people will go with things such as Stealth, Perception, Sleight of Hand, things of that nature. But the thing to keep in mind with a Rogue is that yes, they can be an amazing scout, they're pretty good in combat, they're very stealthy, things of that nature. But you can really be an expert in anything. We've had people who wanted to be like Sherlock Holmes and they had expertise in investigation. We had people who wanted to be a very skilled scout and naturalist and so they had expertise in actually alchemical tools and things of that nature. So the thing with the rogue I'd say is that it's very similar to the fighter in that it is great as kind of a blanket class that you can really focus in and hone how you want to. 
have expertise in a couple of different things that you might be interested in. You actually get the most skills as any class when you start out. You get four skills total, which is very, very nice just from the class itself. And so you can really use this to cater and conform your player and your rogue as you want to have them. So I'd say rogue, great one. You do get sneak attack and that's kind of your other iconic ability where you're gonna to wanna to use a finesse weapon or a ranged weapon, something of that nature in combat. This can be a little bit restricting if you do wanna be more of a strength-based rogue. That's one thing that I kind of have an issue with the class. But honestly, the rogue is just so amazing in so many other ways that everyone's gonna to wanna to play it at some point. And then you're gonna see somebody else playing a rogue. You're gonna see the stuff they can do. You're gonna be like, I want to do that. And I wanna play a rogue next time I'm a player. So keep that in mind. Now hopping forward, here comes the sorcerer. The sorcerer is a very interesting one. So the sorcerer is one of what you could argue is the three, the big three kind of um, arcane casters, which would be the sorcerer, the warlock, and the wizard. And of perhaps the two most potent, the sorcerer and the wizard, the sorcerer is a bit interesting because it gets less spells known than the wizard. It also has something known as metamagic. And basically, to give you an idea of what the sorcerer's whole thing is, it is somebody who is born with magic. It is something that is innate to them or perhaps gifted to them maybe a little bit later on. But it's something where, kind of think of a trust fund kid, where you don't have to work for the magic, you just got it. You just have that lifestyle. And that's one of the amazing things about the sorcerer is that it can be such a cool thing to explore what it means to be just gifted this ability and have all of this immense magical power at the fingertips coming out of you immediately. And so I think that can be very interesting for roleplay purposes. Now, the other thing to keep in mind though is that because you will have a more limited kind of repertoire of spells that you're using, you can really either focus in and be good at one big thing. So a lot of people would be a master blaster, which is just very effective with blowing up enemies, maybe fire damage or electric damage or whatever it may be. Some people would like to be a little bit more utility, which can be challenging for the sorcerer, but definitely doable, I think. And then the other thing to keep in mind is that with the aforementioned meta magic abilities, you really can harness and cultivate your magic as you see fit. There is no one in the game who can actively manipulate and change their magic on the fly, where if you decide, oh, you know what, now I want this explosion to be even bigger, or now I want to hit two people with this, or there's a couple of unearthed arcanas, which is basically a homebrew or untested playtest material, basically, and you can use that to actually change the element of your magical damages, and that, I think, gives a lot of flavor to the sorcerer in being able to say, I want to actively, as I'm sending this fireball out, cultivate it and turn it into ice, and I think that's one of the most flavorful things of any class, really. So I think the Sorcerer has a lot of potential, depending on how you want to approach it. A lot of fun, and honestly, it's kind of cool to just like blow things up with magic, if we're being honest. Now hopping into our other edgy boy, the Warlock. The Warlock is basically somebody who has sought out some ancient knowledge or some darker power from something else. They've made a pact and a deal with some entity of immense magical power, and as such have been gifted with the powers of that entity. Now the interesting thing about the Warlock is that they do have a decent bit of flexibility in that they get something known as invocations. And these are basically small buffs and feats that you can kind of collect as the Warlock to cater how you want to do things. Now the thing to keep in mind with the Warlock is I would honestly say it is perhaps the most flexible and customizable class in D&D, just between who you decide your patron will be, basically the source that you're drawing your power from, what spells you decide to take and what you decide to focus in, your invocations, and then things such as your background and your race as well. And then lastly, your pact, which is gonna be something such as either having a magical blade that you can summon at will, maybe having a familiar that you can share senses with and call upon as you need to, or having a book that you can either do rituals from and also get a few more magical spells from. So the Warlock really is 
I'd say a Swiss Army knife in that you can kind of choose what's going to be useful for you and what isn't going to be useful for you, and you can decide if you want to keep it or not. And the nice thing is a lot of the Warlock's abilities also come back on a short rest, so typically even though they get a little bit less magic per, I guess, adventure kind of thing because they don't have as many spell slots as a lot of your other casters, all you need is an hour down and some drinks and something like that, just grab some food, grab some snacks, whatever, and you're good to go. So if you're going to be on a long trip and you need to be ready over and over and over again, the Warlock is always going to be ready for you when you need them to be. Okay, now get ready. And keep in mind, I love every class in Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. But the Wizard and the Artificer, I definitely have a bias towards because they are intelligence casters. And they are some of the most interesting ones to me. Now, when it comes to the Wizard, they are very much going to be your individual who is in a tower who had to study for years to begin to understand and then later on master the kind of arcane arts. Keep in mind that the wizard is going to be perhaps the most skilled at utility spells between the things that they can conjure, the things that they can create as illusions, the people that they can blast, and the things they can manipulate. The wizard is very much going to be the person that you want to have with you on your side and the more time you give them to prepare for something the more dangerous they're going to be there is basically no other class that gets the ability to create duplicates of themselves create clones of themselves basically terraform the entire planet if they eventually want to now of course as with any of the kind of spell casters you are going to have a little bit less health and in particular the sorcerer and the wizard have the lowest health pools of any class in dungeons and dragons which is part of why they get so much very potent powerful magics but the thing is, as long as you know how to kind of keep yourself protected early on in the game, yes, you're going to feel like you don't have enough to really keep yourself alive all the time. And being a first and second level wizard is kind of terrifying. You feel like you're in a horror movie all the time. But by the time you hit fifth to tenth level especially, those wizard is absolutely horrifying to have to deal with. If you really think through what you can do and what you can learn between the fact that you have ritual casting, which will save you spell slots, you can learn any spell as long as you can copy it from a scroll or a textbook and otherwise, and then you just know it forever. It's really amazing how powerful they are and how exponential their growth is as you go through Dungeons & Dragons. And I will say the wizard in particular, because it has this ability to learn more and more than the sorcerer, that does tend to have me kind of favorite over the sorcerer, even though I like the idea of wizards having to learn but never still being as proficient with their magics as the sorcerer because they have that innate connection to it, the sorcerer that is. But the wizard still is going to have a lot of things over the sorcerer in a lot of ways, so I'd say consider what you're looking for between the two classes, and that might be a good way to decide it. The wizard will have a lot more options, but the sorcerer will be able to do it more innately and more better, if that makes sense. And then finally, getting to our last one on the list, the Artificer. The Artificer is such a strange situation because it came out years after the other classes came out. It's actually pretty recent, it's only been official I think for about a year now, and the Artificer basically is an individual who is going to build their magic. These are going to be very much people who want to make items, who want to create either magical items, create potions, create whatever it may be. And each of the subclasses kind of lead into that. And again, I don't want to get too much into subclasses in this video because it's already long and this would be make it even longer. But the subclasses for the Artificer in particular are very flavorful in that you can kind of focus in on what your craft is, be it being a battlesmith, so kind of a warrior who will create automations that will support you and things of that nature. You can also be an alchemist, so you're going to very much focus more on healing, potions, effects of that nature. And then there's also the artillerist who can basically make just a giant cannon and use that in combat as well. 
So the Artillerist is very much a person who should not by any means have magical abilities, and they've decided, you know what, I'm gonna make my own magical abilities. And the nice thing is a lot of time, if you want to flavor it this way, which a lot of people will with the Artillerist, you actually won't even have technically spells, I'm doing air quotes. You'll have spells, but then when you describe them, you can have it be a device that's doing it. So say maybe an injection for something healing somebody, or maybe a support system for somebody who is trying to become stronger. Maybe you literally have like an exoskeleton that you just give to them. And so similar to the wizard, I'd say, the more time you give an artificer as downtime, typically the more dangerous they become, if I'm being honest. And I think that's one of the interesting things about the intelligence casters in particular, the artificer and the wizard, is that compared to a lot of other classes, like other classes can definitely do very powerful things during downtime, but it seems like the wizard and the artificer especially are the ones that take advantage of this and literally either build or create like mechanical backings for a lot of what they do. So there we have it. I know this went on way longer than I at least expected to. I sometimes forget how many classes there are and how much I love to talk about them. But as a quick overview, if you want to be a skilled combatant, just very dangerous in a fight one-on-one, -on -one, check out the Barbarian, the Fighter, the Paladin, and maybe the Monk. If you want to be more so evasive, kind of the sleuth, the agile one, then definitely check out the Ranger, the Rogue, and the Monk in particular. If you seek to weave through the magics of the world, then I would definitely check out the Wizard, the Sorcerer, and maybe the Warlock, but I'd say that one maybe choose if you're a little bit more desperate for power. <laughs> Could be a very interesting way to kind of explore things. If you want to be a creator and a builder, the Artificer is going to be exactly what you're looking for. The Rogue can also do this pretty well, but I think the Artificer has a little something to it that just makes it a little bit more potent for that. Lastly, if you want to be a very good support, be practiced in the magics, but more so on the healing, support, and divinity kind of end of things, check out the Cleric and the Druid. And lastly, if you want to be the Theater Kid, check out the Bard. They're kind of the best class in the game, but don't tell anybody I told you that. In any case. I hope this has been helpful. I hope that maybe this helps you decide what class you want to choose a little bit more easily, or perhaps it's just made you more conflicted between the 13 of them, in which case I apologize greatly. But I think next week we'll probably start delving into the individual classes and get into more of the crunchy mechanical aspects of them. But who knows, we might move into something else. We'll see how things are feeling. In any case, stay well, stay safe, and hope to see you around sometime soon.